to be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Rose over the middle, wide open across the five. He's in. Touchdown, Houston. Fires underneath. This is intercepted. Back-to-back possessions with picks for this Texans defense. Takeaway number three on the day. Game day is every day. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Now, it's Texans All Access. Welcome in, everybody, to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, satellite reporter. Been your host on this show, these two hours, now in my ninth year, and absolutely love bringing it to you. We've got so much on the docket. we got our deep slant one-on-one with O.J. Howard tonight. D.P. City sits down. The big tight end from out of Alabama and the Bucks, and a little bit with the Bills, but now with the Texans making an impact as he did last Sunday. Man, did he make an impact against the Indianapolis Colts. So we'll have our deep slant one-on-one brought to you by Xfinity. Mark's going to join me after a little bit, and we're going to chat about kind of finishing up the Colts and then getting ready for the Denver Broncos. He's also going to have his men behind the mics play-by-play extraordinaire Dave Logan for the Denver Broncos also coaches one of the high school teams. I want to say Cherry Creek. I could be wrong, though. But he coaches a high school team and has been fabulous over the years. So we'll have our men behind the mics to kick off second hour. Mark will be in. And then I will tell you about the last time that we were in Denver. Now, if you remember the last time we were in Denver, it was a really exciting ending. And I unfortunately played a little bit of a role when I shouldn't have. So I'll tell you that story uh, a little bit later in the show. But we have to kick off tonight's show with the general manager of your Houston, Texas. I love being able to say that every single Wednesday. It's just I, I love getting a chance to catch up with Nick Casario. And not surprisingly, Nick Casario has not seen draft day. Maybe he needs to see it. I don't know. Maybe. Tom Telesco hadn't seen him. The Chargers made him watch it, and then they filmed him watching it. It is hilarious. I think we need to do that with Nick Casario. But either way, we had other things to talk about. Of course, how do you deal with a tie? All right, so I'm going to ask you this. How do you feel, your feelings, Nick, after a tie? You've never been part of one, if I'm not mistaken, with the Patriots anyway. What about college or anything like that? Yeah, actually, we had a few in college. We had two in college, actually. Okay. Uh, One year, I think we went 6-2-2, and whatever it was. But anyways... Each game is its own entity, and you mm-hmm. kind of go through the game, and whatever the result is, the result is. So there's a lot of plays that came up during the course of the game, uh, like we talked about last week. And you look around the league a little bit, and there, uh, I want to say there were nine one-score games the first week of the season. Um, usually those games come down to you know a handful of plays in each game. We saw that in the Denver-Seattle game as well. So in the end, whatever the situation is, you're going to execute or not execute, and then whatever the result is, is the result. And then really it's about turning the page and moving on to the next game, um, the next opportunity in front of us, which will be Denver. Nick, as you thought about week one and the Colts heading into the game, as you walked out of there, yes, it's a tie, and nobody really knows how to feel about that. But just from a on-field standpoint of where the product is versus last year and how much we've improved and all that kind of stuff. How did you feel about that aspect of things? Physicality, athleticism, speed, all that kind of stuff. How did you feel one year to the next? Yeah, again, it's a week-to-week endeavor, but I would say there's certain areas of the game where we did some good things. We had our opportunities, kind of started slowly a little bit offensively, kind of played decent in the middle of the game and in the fourth quarter, probably didn't execute as well as we needed to. Uh, Defensively, one of the things that we did that kind of kept us in the game, played good in the red area. Um, So... Mm -hmm. 
gave up a lot of yards. You know, some things in the run game that we need to get cleaned up and get and get fixed. And the passing game limited some of the explosive plays. They're able to take the ball away. So well, there's some positives to take out of the game. There's the things that we did well. We just got to build on some of the things that we've done well consistently and try to improve in the areas that you know we need some work. And and that's what you have to do over the course. I would say the early part of the season before you know you get four, six, four, five, six games under your belt and everybody kind of sees what you are, what you have. So. Say some players took advantage of the opportunity, made some plays, um, and as a team collectively, do we just, we just have to play better and we have to execute better in the end. Yeah, it is the first 60-minute game for this squad. You had the three preseason games, but it's game one. What about game one to game two? You talk about four or five weeks, whatever, but game one to game two has got to be a pretty big leap. Yeah, I mean, we really played a game and a half defensively, 94 <laughs> yeah, yeah. plays on that side of the ball. So mm. um, you really you, you have to flip the page because it's a new, I would say, team, new opportunity, new schematic, front structure defensively. What Denver does is different than what Indy does. What they do offensively is different than what Indy does. So you have to look at the team that you're playing and kind of look at it. And the whole week, we have to go through the whole week and kind of start our preparation over, um, go through the game uh, from last night. Really, that's kind of the bulk of the preparation. This is the first opportunity for a lot of the starters um, on both sides of the ball for De- for Denver that played. So not a lot of them played in the preseason. Go back mm. to last year and really study some of the personnel. But schematically, um, it's a little bit different. Uh, maybe defensively, there's some carryover because this is kind of rooted in Vic's system. So when you look at Coach Averro, he was – you know, not Vic's system, but he's with Coach Staley, who was in Vic's system. So there's some carryover in terms of that, of what they're doing, and then some of the new players. So really, it's about understanding the team, understanding the opponent, understanding the personnel, understanding schematically what they're doing in all three phases. Nick, you saw Jerry Hughes for a number of years when you were with New England. He was with Buffalo, and we obviously saw, saw him here in various games, playoff game. I mean, he's terrorizing quarterbacks. And then he steps on the field, thir- 34 years old, and he looked like he was arguably the best player on the field I would imagine you felt good about what Jerry brought to you, but what does he bring, not just strip sacks and interceptions and those kind of things, but what does Jerry bring overall? What did you see the other day from him against the Colts? Yeah, we've talked about this at different points through the spring and training camp. I mean, he's been consistent since day one. So his performance, what you saw on the field on Sunday, you saw a lot of that in practice as well. So if you do it in practice, there's a good chance you're going to do it in a game. It's yep. not all of a sudden, you know, you know, dudes don't do something in practice and then you're going to flip a switch and something's going to happen in the game. So, um, you know, he was disruptive. He, uh, he made some negative plays there. Honestly, the interception probably negated a, a touchdown because that right side of the field, there was nobody on that on that side of the field on the screen. So, you know, we, we were able to kind of make a big play on our end. We kind of eliminated a, a big play on, on, on the Colts end offensively. So, but Jerry's been consistent from day one. Um, obviously, the fact that he was elected captain speaks to what his teammates and what his peers think of him, which that speaks to, you know, more than anything that, that we talk about. How about the rookies, Nick, getting their first taste of regular season action? Because everything seems to have an extra level of speed. Your training camp practice, your preseason games, and now here we are in the regular season. Yeah, it wasn't too big for them. I mean, a handful or however many played in the game. So, um, you know, some played uh, more snaps than others. But it's a good opportunity. I think the big thing just philosophically is it's still football. So even though you go from training camp practice to preseason games to regular season games, it's still about football. It's still about your execution. It's still about your preparation. It's still about your assignment. It's just doing the right thing when you're on the field. And because once you step on the field, nothing else really matters. So just focus on what you have to do that play. Just have enough discipline and have enough mental toughness to focus on that particular situation. So from that perspective, I'd say that group did a decent job. So it's another opportunity. This will be a new, I would say, stimulus this week going on the road. I would say playing in as hostile and loud environment as the NFL. So playing on the road, there's some different elements that go into it. So the focus and concentration will be at a premium. 
not that it wasn't last week, but even more so when you go on the road. We joked in training camp and then near preseason games, we're like, who's going to be the Amendola this year? Who's going to be Danny Amendola, the player we never see coming that jumps into week one and makes an impact? And we're like, there's not going to be one. And then O.J. Howard catches two touchdowns. When you brought O.J. here, Nick, what, what did you see in him? I mean, physically, he looks like he's a power forward. But what did you see and what did you think he could bring to the team? Yeah, I mean, O.J. has good attributes that go into playing that position. He's got good size. He's got good length. He runs fairly well. He's a smart player. I think it's a credit to really O.J. and Coach Burbs for, you know, getting him ready to play in the game. You know, I think he had 12 plays, kind of maximized some of those opportunities. I mean, the, those two plays were well executed. Yeah. Um, the way they were put together, the way Pep kind of structured those plays, were able to get a certain look and were able to capitalize on it. So, AJ is a good kid, or excuse me, OJ is a good kid. He works hard. He's smart. Um, you know, he has a good football aptitude. Um, and he has good skills. So we, we see if we can build on some of the things that he did, you know, in the first week. So really, it's about week to week. What what happened last week, quite frankly, is not going to really matter. It's going to be what can we do this week to prepare, um, you know, for Denver to go out there and perform at a high level. Nick Lovey talked about the running game. Want to see more production there. We saw more production than a lot of games last year so there was progress in that area what do you make of where you're at now and where you're headed yeah had some you know some players a little bit better than others probably left some yards on the field quite frankly in a running game mm -hmm. um, whether it was just kind of read or just maybe not finishing a block at the second level so I think finishing plays just understanding how the play is designed understanding you know the course um, from the backs perspective kind of what you're looking at don't try to do too much just run the play the way it's being blocked and just try to block it to the best of our ability. So, you know, hopefully this is a you know, good front to it'll be a hard front to run against here. So I think they, I mean, I think Seattle ran for or, uh, 80 yards last night or something like that. So, you know, running the ball will be difficult against this front, but just stringing good plays together, um, see if we can kind of pop one there, maybe try to get an explosive run. Anytime you get an explosive run, it kind of helps the drive and your overall offense. So we'll see if we can build on some of the things that we did, you know, a little bit in the running game. Nick, when for you is Sunday over with? Meaning, we're sitting here talking about the Sunday game, but it feels like you're so ready for Denver that, hey, week one's done. Let's, let's move on. When does it sort of leave your system <laughs> and you're truly on to the Broncos? Yeah, it's funny. You're really kind of doing multiple things at once. So even though we're working on Denver, um, it, the, the coaches and the players are working on Denver to kind of flip their preparation. You know, we're actually working on Chicago as well. So right. you're kind of doing... Mm -hmm multiple things at once but specific to your question once a game is over um you know a lot of coaches my process go home watch a game go through the game all three phases make your notes come in in the morning kind of clean some things up and then you're moving Done. on yeah. so as soon as you come in really the next morning you're on to the next opponent the next team the preparation that goes along with it if they had a game the previous day you're going to go through that game. Now, in this situation, we're able to go through, I would say, Chicago, start to watch them a little bit, watch the Chargers. They had their game against Vegas, which in turn, that's an opponent after the bye. So you really, you play the game, you get the result of the game, you see what happens, you watch it individually, then the staffs meet and go through it collectively. You talk about it as a staff kind of midday, and then we're moving on yep. to the next thing. So that's how this league works, and you have to do that. If you spend too much time about what happened you know, two days ago, like you're wasting a lot of time. And you're going to put right. yourself behind in your preparation for the next team. It's a short week for the Broncos. So historically, how do you look at that analytically as it's not as few days as it would be for a Sunday, Thursday kind of thing, but it still has to be a bit of a factor. Yeah, every team has to go through it, even in a preseason. If you have, and we went through that, play Friday, then turn around and play Thursday. So everybody mm -hmm. has short weeks. I'd say the staffs have probably some level of experience about how they want to uh, plan and attack that. So 
my suspicion is, and we would do the same thing, that we would probably try to get ahead on mm. on the next opponent, understanding we have a little bit of extra time. So if you play on Monday mm. night, you kind of have all day Sunday or to maybe start to look ahead to the next opponent, maybe Monday morning. So you just figure out uh, logistically what you need to get done just to maximize your preparation. So it'll be a quick turnaround. Um, you know, Tuesday is an off day probably for Denver, and then they'll do something on Wednesday. They'll practice Thursday, Friday, and they'll get ready to go. So everybody kind of goes through it. So you just have to kind of have whatever your plan is and just kind of stick to it and be consistent. Just make sure you articulate the important things to the players. Okay, let's jump in the deep end because you're already there. Let's get us there. Broncos in Denver. They've got some dudes on the defensive side of the ball. I got Russell driving it offensively. What do you see, Nick? Yeah, they're a good team. Um, they got a lot of good players, um, some new players they've added to the team. Um, offensively, obviously, Russell is a big part of what they're doing. Um, he's been as consistent and productive a player at that position as been in the league. I think they showed a stat last night, or however many wins, 113 wins and however many number of seasons, and he's first in the league over that period of time. So the thing about him, he's very accurate with the ball, and he's a very accurate deep ball thrower. So eliminating the big plays and the explosive plays, even the touchdown last night to Judy, corner was in phase, but the ball was put in such a good spot, but that's emblematic of who Russell is. So pass rush will be important, containing a quarterback. He does a, a really good job of keeping plays alive. Um, and then a running game, I'd say Javante Williams is probably one of the more underrated young players in the league, combination of – being able to run the ball, and I think he was one of their leading receivers last night. So between Williams and Gordon, kind of have a one-two punch. And then the emphasis on the tight end. Coach Hackett, his background offensively is the use of the tight end. I think the first half of the game, they, they didn't target a receiver. Yeah. So they have three or four tight ends. Drafted Dulcich in the middle rounds there, who was limited a little bit um, with a hamstring injury. Um, and on the offensive line, it's kind of a, the same group that they've had. I mean, Bull's been a good player. Um, you know, Cushenberry did a good job for them last year. So uh, so they're good, I would say, offensively and defensively. Um, they got a lot of good players. Sertain's probably one of the best defensive yep. players in the league. It's a very unique combination of size, length, and overall athleticism and instinctiveness and competitiveness. Um, and then Simmons does a lot of things well. He's very versatile, very instinctive. Uh, Darby does a good job on the other side. He's been in the league a long time. He's very fast. They signed Kawan Williams, who's with San Francisco. He's done a good job on the slot. Um, they've had some injuries um, in the inside linebacker group, so they've kind of had some different players in there. Um, and then their edge group is a really strong group. I mean, Chubb, I would say, looks like this is the Chubb that, you know, he was drafted in the top five or whatever it was. Yep. Signed Gregory for agency, and then really kind of another maybe underrated signing is probably DJ Jones, defensive tackle, yep. um, who was with San Francisco last year. So, I mean, they're a good team, uh, present a lot of problems on both sides of the ball. So it's going to come down to execution like it does every week. So can you execute in the critical situations? Can you play good in the red area? Can you play good in the third down? Can you play good at the end of the half and the end of the game and, and not turn the ball over and minimize the penalties? But they got a lot of talented players. The first home game for them, new ownership group, um, a lot of excitement. So it'll be a big challenge. It'll be a very hostile environment. We're going to have basically ourselves to, to rely on and, and trust each other. And that's all we really need. And we just got to go out there and try to play well. Over the years, I've heard mixed reviews about the altitude, Nick, and you've been <laughs> a part of some big games there. What is your take on that aspect of things? Yeah, I think there's an acclimation period or process, but you really what you have to do is just go through your preparation during the course of the week and not to get too caught up in, well, we're going to the altitude and it's however many feet above sea level and all that. So just have to make sure that your body is prepared. So I'd say hydration, nutrition, sleep. It's an emphasis every week, maybe a little bit more heightened awareness on that. Um, some players may have a little condition where they're predisposed to that situation and that environment. 
But in the end, you're playing the Denver Broncos. You're not playing the altitude. So it's going to be warm. Uh, I think it's going to be 85, 90 degrees. So it should be a good day to play football. So, you know, we'll have to use our depth and hopefully rely on a lot of the players that we have in the game, use everybody at the game, all 48 players. Hopefully they can help us and we'll have a role. So it's just kind of probably rotating players in, using your depth and trying to make sure that you're as fresh as possible in the fourth quarter. I mean, the focus is on the Broncos, not so much on the altitude, but you just have to make sure that your body is acclimated and prepared as best you can for that. Nick, Mark is the biggest fan of special teams now, and <laughs> it's been amazing to watch the first couple weeks of both the NFL and the college season and teams that may not have lost a game solely because of special teams, but in games that they could have stolen at the end or made a play at the end to win a game, it's been a wingback blocking out instead of down. Yet Sunday, it felt like your kicking game, the special teams, Frank Ross and Bake, they did a, a whale of a job in, in every single facet. It felt like how important has that group been and how good were they on Sunday? Yeah, it, it goes without saying. And the kicking game is a third of the game, and you have to view it through that lens. It's not kind of offense, defense, the kicking game's an afterthought. Right. So, I mean, you look at the Ravens, they've been as good in the kicking game as any team in the league, and there's a reason because they allocate a lot of time, a lot of resources, and they make it a priority, and it's important. And you have to make sure the players understand why it's important. There's starters that play in a kicking game. There's a reason that you do that. You want to get your best players in the roles so that you can actually maximize what happens in that particular phase. So we put a lot of time, a lot of effort and emphasis in the kicking game. Um, it's something that we did in New England as well. Um, and the kicking game is, could potentially, like you said, John, win or lose games. Yeah. And when you look at what happened just in the first week in the NFL, yeah. missed field goals, botched attempts, ball handling, almost blocked punts. I mean, it could be the difference on the margins between win or losing the game. So, We've played fairly competitive in a kicking game on Sunday. You know, we had a lot of touchbacks. Kaimi kicked the ball really well and the field goal opportunities and the extra points. Um, we did a pretty good job covering the field on the punts. So that, and when you can control the field, control the game a little bit and force the opponent to go on a long field, the percentages tell you you have a better chance. The win probability is a little bit better. So it's about execution. It's about commitment. And just make sure the, the players understand there's a reason we have a heightened urgency in that phase because it's really important. And in the end, it could be the difference between winning and losing. One more for you. The coaches said, well, they have to watch the Monday Night Football live video of the game because they don't have the all 22 yet. So as they were watching it in progress, I was wondering, what are you watching? And do you watch the Manning cast? <laughs> and hear me out. Casario cast. I smell ratings. Uh, yeah. I think I know the answer to this one. I don't think anybody wants to hear what I have to say on any Casario <laughs> cast. But um, you watch the game. It's really more the ebb and the flow. And maybe there's something that the announcers mention or talk about mm -hmm. because they've had a chance to visit with the staff. But in the end, it's about what goes on on the field. So, Try not to get too caught up in the actual – the TV copy serves a purpose, so that's one component of part of the preparation. And then the All-22 serves a purpose as well, so you have to merge the two and just take all the information and the data and then process it. And then if it helps you in preparation for the game plan, whatever is out there, we're going to utilize to our advantage to the best of our ability. You know, one that I would like to see you opine upon is draft day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's kind – Oh, the movie? About the movie? The movie. He would kill the movie. Have you seen don't, it? Don't, don't say anything. Have you don't. just say yes or no? Have you seen it? <laughs> I have not. Right. I, my, my, I mean, list of movies we've talked about. Yeah, this know, is very small and short. I know. Yeah. So I draft love, day is not one. You, of I would love to see your reaction <laughs> to things that happen in that movie. Good. Remember, it's a movie. I mean, it's, I know, it's made up. Still, it's a movie. It's good, it's but you'll fun. be like, "This is crazy." It's not. Never mind. We can get into it another time. Nick, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thanks, guys.
I mean, listen, I'm telling you, I think it would be hilarious to watch his reaction to a young GM at Jacksonville trading three number twos for the number six pick overall. I, I love that. I would love to see his reaction to that. Like I said, the Chargers did that with Tom Telesco, their GM, and his reaction was hilarious to certain things that you just didn't even or wouldn't even catch. The first time that Kevin Costner walks into the room and the, the draft board is up on, on the wall, Telesco points it out and says, that's terrible. Like, that's, that's not good. I mean, he was just so matter-of-fact about some things. And then he, would, he kept coming back to it like, that was terrible. Where did that draft board come from? He was so incredulous. So I would love to see Nick's reaction uh, to draft day maybe one day down the road. All right, that's going to do it for the first segment. Coming up next, we're going to learn a little bit more about the newest tight end to the tight end room, O.J. Howard. Now, he's not new. He's, he's got some uh, rings around the tree, if you will, but he's new to the Texans, and he was fabulous on Sunday. DP City cut up with him for a deep slant interview of the week sponsored by Xfinity. That's next on Texans All Access. Stay tuned for more on the Houston Texans and the NFL on Texans All Access. Bruxel, a Mexican company with more than 10 years of experience creating financial technology, has everything you need to take care of your money, all within a single app, an account in pesos and an account in dollars. The card with the most benefits in something that seemed totally impossible up until now. Sending and receiving money from the United States to Mexico for completely free. Get your account in a few minutes on your cell phone at Bruxel.com and find out everything that Bruxel has for you and your money. Bruxel, celebrating 10 years ahead. Celebrating 10 years ahead. Celebrating 10 years ahead. We return to Texans Radio. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and I have a really good friend in the building by the name of D.P. Sidhu. If you haven't heard of D.P., then I would ask, where have you been? She's been with the team since 2013, does an awesome, awesome job. She is one of my favorites to sit down and, and talk, do, do anything with. I mean, on air, off air. It's always funny because she always has a question that I, I like, wait, what? Huh, I hadn't thought about that. Like, she always asks me a question about a game or something that happened, and I hadn't really given that much thought. And she does that with players in an interview we call The Deep Slant, and it's always thought-provoking, and I love Love, love getting those interviews on the air on a Wednesday evening. So tonight, DP had a chance to sit down with a guy that I first saw in person at the 2016 Senior Bowl. And that was my third, was my third Senior Bowl. Because my first will never, will always be the Aaron Donald Senior Bowl back in 2014. That was, that was incredible. And it was the third one. So it was 2016 and O.J. Howard was one of the tight ends there. And I was a little surprised because I thought, you know what, he's going to end up being a first-round pick. I mean, he just had come off a tremendous game in the national championship game. He had two touchdowns and ran away from guys. I mean, you saw the size, the speed, everything. But I got a chance to see him up close to the senior bowl, and I thought, oh, my God, this guy's a freakazoid. And he had a really, really good week. And that opened up the eyes of a lot of teams and maybe some that weren't totally in – the 100% committed to a tight end, drafting a tight end. We're like, okay, we got to get this guy. And the Bucks eventually were that team that drafted OJ. And he ended up having some injuries at the end there. But then he ended up in Buffalo. 
and was allowed to go seek a different team. When he got to the Texans, I thought, you know what? This could be interesting. And I think for a lot of fans, as well, we recognize that name, O.J. Howard. But, okay, how much, he has, the, how much does he have in the tank? He's had to go through some injuries. Well, I'll tell you this. Watch him in practice. I turned to Mark at some point and went, man, he looks good. What the heck? And then you saw it on Sunday with two catches down to see him. I think he played 12 plays, Coach Smith said. Lovey Smith said in his press conference Wednesday or maybe Monday. I can't remember. 12 plays, two touchdowns. Pretty nice. And those are two of the best thrown balls by Davis Mills. He threw it high, relatively high, but right at about OJ's face mask where OJ was going to be able to make a play in the first one. Then the second one, he threw it up a little bit where OJ had to go up and get it, but he was able to reel it in. He's 6'6". And brought it into the end zone. Two touchdowns. The only two touchdowns of the day. Both by O.J. Howard. The guy that's been in Houston all of about three weeks. So D.P. City had a chance to catch up with O.J. Howard. And we get to meet him for the first time right here on Texas All Access. D.P., take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. Joining me today, tight end O.J. Howard. Two catches, two touchdowns. All he does is catch touchdowns. Welcome in. I mean, we've met in the locker room. We've met after games. But officially, welcome to the Houston Texans. What have the first two weeks been like for you? It's been good. You know, my coach, Coach Berbovich, has been doing a great job of getting me in, you know, uh, trying to get me acclimated to the offense to allow me to play fast like on Sundays. Um, so it's been good so far. Kind of hectic at times because, you know, I'm just moving, trying to, you know, get settled in the, in the city in general. But it's been good. You said that you came in in week one and you were only learning your portion of the playbook. So now that you're heading into week two, how has that transition been going? You've been learning a little bit more? Yeah, it's been good. That was, that was a plan, you know, kind of just go week to week. And then, you know, as we go on, try to, like, give me the whole schematically scheme of the playbook in general. So, you know, this week my role as far as trying to learn more has grown. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of studying, and, you know, that's what I've been doing, really. All right, so first game with the Texans, you scored two touchdowns. You are just the third tight end in NFL history who scored two touchdowns in their first game with a team. So you're part of NFL history. You've also had some pretty historic games. Tom Brady is a Buccaneer. His first touchdown was also to you. Yeah. What yeah. was that moment like when Tom Brady comes in and, and you're the first guy that catches a pass from in the end zone? Um, that was cool. It was awesome. Funny thing about it is when he first got to training camp, I caught the first touchdown pass. Oh, you did? Camp. Yeah, so and then it just happened to work out that <laughs> way in the game. So it was kind of cool that you know, it happened that way. But that was awesome. Um, I got a chance to keep the ball. So I still got it, framed, oh, okay. got it framed at home. So that was, that was pretty cool. I mean, you worked with a lot of different quarterbacks over the years. Was it super different when Brady comes in and, and he's sort of running the offense? Yeah, it was. You know, just, you know, hearing this guy, you know, speak about, you know, the game from a different aspect of, that we've always heard it. You know, it's, it's stuff we hadn't heard before. I mean, it's stuff we've heard before, but to make him keep it simple was like, oh, it's really that easy. You know, it, it was it's just the way his terminology was. It made it a lot, lot smoother. You've also played with a quarterback that we're very familiar with here, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. We just loved when he was here, Fitzy. And he had the moment where he put on Deshaun Jackson's jacket and gold chains because he wanted. He was joking like we should stay humble and not change who we are. I went back and I, I looked at the stats. You also kind of touched in on that game too. Yeah. The one that really elevated Fitzy in Tampa Bay. 75-yard touchdown game. What was it like playing with Fitzy? It was awesome. Always magic. You know what I mean? Like Fitz magic is Fitz magic is real. <laughs> I mean, you know, so got to play with him. And, you know, it's always like the plays that, you know, you can't draw up on paper and you still make the touchdowns happen. You know, just the experience, his personality was the whole nine yards. So as a tight end, like a lot, we see a lot of guys switch to tight ends in their career, but you've always been a true tight end. You were a five-star recruit coming out of high school, first-round draft pick coming out of college. 
When did you decide that tight end was a position you were going to play? And was there ever any other position that interested you? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, really when I started playing tight end was like 11th grade when I kind of like kind of like tapped into it a little bit. But senior years when I really fully went to mm. tight end, um, even in Alabama, I was getting recruited as a linebacker, outside linebacker at first. And then they were like, okay, this kid can play tight end. Let's offer him as a tight end. So, you know, it was my senior year when I finally like dialed in and played tight end fully the whole football season. Other than that, my high school, I played all around, running back, quarterback a little bit. So, senior year. I, I know. I don't know if you read your Wikipedia page because Wikipedia, we know, is not all facts. But on there, it says that Nick Saban actually regretted that he didn't play you more yeah. uh, before your senior yeah. year. So, did that actually happen? And how did that conversation go? Yeah. So, Wikipedia, quick quick, quick thing about it. It's not always facts. It's not always facts, my, my but birthday's I just had wrong. To ask. My birthday's wrong on Wikipedia. <laughs> so, you know, I know that's true. So, it's but, not it's not you yeah. writing your Wikipedia, right. clearly. Okay. So, that's part's true. But, um, <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that is. Uh, Coach did come out and say that, I think, in, a, in an interview or, or so. But, you know, at the time when I was at Alabama, we were known for running the ball really well. Yes. And uh, we, were, we were establishing the dominant run game. So, um, the tight end would get the ball, you know, off of that. You know what I mean? Off the, the success of the run game. And then if it's, if it's working – I change it. So we didn't really air it out like that at Alabama when I played. But, you know, it still worked out. It helped me become a a, um, a, a blocker and develop as an all-around tight end. So you have a national championship with Alabama. You have a yeah. Super Bowl ring. I mean, that's very rare, I think, for a football player to have both of those things. So if you had to rank your best sports memory, yeah. what would it be? I, I would say, you know, the national championship because of the work that I put in with those guys and we all came in as a class mm. uh, and, and as freshmen and we all got to become – come from boys to young men as we got older because we won it our junior year. And we were going to be the last class to not win one because Nick Saban, every class has won a ring with him. Okay. He's recruited. And it came down to our last year to do it before guys entered the draft. So that was our last chance, and guys buckled up and made it happen, and we kept it going. And to this day, that's still the fact that every team has won a championship, every recruiting class. So that, that was special to me because it came down to the wire for us. It was either win it or be the team that kind of messed it up. Broke the streak. Yeah, so that, that, that really um, – it was special to me. Well, I was going to ask you what yeah. means more, the national championship or the Super Bowl, but it yeah. sounds like in college that means more just because you're with the same guys for so long. Exactly. Um, just that camaraderie, like staying at the dorms with those guys, running those 110s and sweating. And like I say, it just college is a lot, you know, like a lot more connected, I think. But uh, nothing takes away from the Super Bowl, but that college one is something that, you know, we always will remember for sure. All right, you've gone through your share of adversity in your career as well. Back in 2020, you had the Achilles injury, which knocked you out for the year. Was that the toughest injury that you'd had to date, and what was that like coming back from that? Yeah, that was hard. You know, the recovery process was hard. You know, just, That's a tough injury. It is. It is. It's like, you know, it used to be a career under like maybe right. like 15 years ago or so. But, you know, and, and, and at that time, it was the first year Tom came. I was I was having a great year starting off and, you know, got, got a good connection with him. And then, boom, week four, I do that. Um, it just kind of tore me up. So, yeah, that was hard, you know, and the recovery was a tough one. And like I said, that injury is like a two-year recovery process just mm. to get the nervous system back going the right way. So that that by far was the toughest one ever. So that was in 2020, and then this offseason you signed with Buffalo. Mm -hmm. You're with Buffalo throughout the whole offseason, throughout camp. Yep. They release you, yep. and then you sign with the Texans, as we know, before, right after training camp ended. So what were, what were the emotions like going through something like that? You've yeah. been with the same team for five years, and now you switch two teams in the offseason. Right. What, what's going through your head when all this is going on? You know, it, like I told all my friends and my family, as all that was going on, it was it was kind of hectic a little bit for, you know, people, you know, that, that were outside a little bit. But the friends and family kind of knew. I was like, you know, the work's been put in. Um, we're just going to trust the process. You know what I mean? Everything's happened for a reason. It's already written. So 
you know, if we just do our part, everything else is going to fall in line. So that was kind of my mindset. Up in Buffalo, I got an opportunity to to put in some great work. You know, it's a good team. Got uh, to work with another great yeah, quarterback great up quarterback, there. Great quarterback, great players on defense. So, you know, I knew that I was getting great looks. You know what I mean? If it didn't work out like it did it, uh, if I had made another stop and found a home, that I was going to be ready to play. And that's what happened kind of here. I know in the locker room you had said that you had heard about Lovey through some guys in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers locker room. Yeah. He was gone by then, but there were some players that remained. Yeah. I asked Lovey about it today. If he, had, if he had heard anything about you, and he said, of course, you saw those connections with Buffalo and Tampa Bay, and they really wanted you here. So when you come here in Houston and you meet with Lovey for the first time, did he sort of live up to that expectation or, or what you had heard, and, and did you guys have any of those conversations? Yeah, yeah, he did. Like, you know, a lot of the guys that I uh, was around, like Levante David, Cameron Brake, those guys were there with him. So, you know, I was just like, how was the coach before I got here? And they were like, oh, it was Lovey. It's like, man, <laughs> we liked him, bro. He down to earth. You know, so it was, it was those type yeah. of conversations. Me as a rookie – Wondering like how it was before, you know, I in the got previous here. regime, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we got on conversations like that, and I had a buddy in the equipment room that coached under him. He even said great things about him. Then when I got here, I met Coach Smith, and well, before I actually met him, we got on the phone first. Okay, and, you know, they um, he what we got we called on the phone, and then I met him in person, and then just watching him around and his demeanor, as cool as a fan, you know, real stand up guy, and you know what I mean. And those are the things I already heard, but when you see it and you get to meet a person for yourself. It brings it to light. So that was, that was cool. That was a cool, cool to see. All right, so you meet Lovey. You meet your new teammates. So I want to play a little word association game with you. Okay. The first word that comes to mind when you when I ask about your fellow tight ends. Now, this could be based on your first impressions or mm-hmm. it actually it should be based on your or, or how well you know them now. So Pharaoh Brown. I remember Pharaoh kind of like in the high school recruiting portal. Oh, you do? Or okay. It, it was something like around when we were in high school kind of thing. I ran into him before maybe like at a combine or something. So that's that's like the first thing that – I remember when I heard Pharaoh's name again, like, oh, I think I've met him before, like, coming through high school. Yeah. Oh, okay. Are you yeah. guys about You guys are about the same yeah, year? Yeah, yeah. I think, we, like, either he's 12 and I'm 13, like, a year apart. So okay. it was, it's something like that. Yeah, he's a year, he's a year older than me. Okay, so you guys had that. You have yeah. a, a previous connection. So what personality-wise, what, yeah. what do you think of him? Um, Just real, you know, understands the game. You know, he's a very intelligent. Like, like I'm learning the offense myself now, so I can go to him and – you know, he has a really sharp mentality, so he's that kind of on-business type of guy and, you know, can get, you know, just be a coach kind of on the field for you. All right. Uh, Brevin Jordan. Brevin. I know going back to Brevin, is like young guy. I was this guy's counselor one time at a football camp. Really? Yeah, he was when I was in college. In um, Oregon. Flo- oh. Oregon. I got called out Oregon. to Oregon. He okay. was at the, something called the opening, and I was a tight ends coach up there as a counselor. And uh, he was one of the, the campers. He was one of the guys. And he brought <laughs> Wait, it up was to he, me. Wait, was he like how he is now back then? Yeah, yeah, he was. You know, because he, he was from, he was from. I remember he was the kid from Vegas. He had a quarterback yes. there with him from high school. Yes. So everybody in the camp kind of knew who they were. Okay. Um, you know, and like I said, I was the counselor for the tight end, so I was around the guys, and I just remember him. And, you know, I, saw, I remember he went to Miami. And then, like, when I got here, the first thing he said, what's up, bro? And I was like, man, He remembered up? you and he you remembered, remembered him. He remembered me. Then when he remembered me, it, it brought me back. Of course. To like, oh, okay. yeah, that's right. So wow. that, that's kind of like what happened with him, but he, I was like, like I said, he was a senior in high school back then, so yeah. So you, wow, you really have a history with these guys. All right, Jordan Akins. He was a guy that was here a few years ago, and now he's back again. I saw him in the hallway, and I was like, welcome back. He's back wearing number 88, but what are your first impressions of Jordan Akins? Yeah, Ake is a guy that uh, kind of, we, we're like, he's like one of my buddies right now, because we're both like going through the process of learning this office Relearning together. it, yeah. Yeah, so we've always been hanging out like these these last, these couple weeks, and um, you know, getting to know him better, and learning about his family, you know what I mean, and uh, his his journey about playing, you know, uh, baseball. baseball. He was drafted. Yeah. He was drafted yeah. by the Rangers. Went yeah, to UCF, and we know some mutual friends at UCF. So, 
that's cool. That's the kind of connection me and him have right now. So, yeah, that's cool. Okay, do you have any connections with Mason Shrek? No, I'm curious. Oh, yeah. Well, no connection with Mason. <laughs> okay, uh, but I, what I, do you think, what, what are your thoughts of him? Mason is another guy that kind of knows, you know, knows how it goes. You know what I mean? And a uh, humble guy, uh, great personality. You can go up to him and talk to him, and you know, he'll just give you anything you need, answers, and you know, help you out. All right. Well, I think my word for you has to be well connected. Like you have connections everywhere <laughs> throughout the league, and we love to see the connections that you make with Davis Mills. Can't wait to see more of them throughout the season. OJ, thank All you so right. much thank for the time. So much, thank, you. thank you, man. I love the fact that Omar, E, Jackson, Lindsey, and our PR department said okay when DP asked for OJ Howard. I mean, sometimes we get a new player, and they're a little bit reticent. Oh, I'm not totally sure about doing this, and OJ jumped right in. And gave us a great interview. That was fantastic. Glad that, that OJ did that with our good friend, D.P. Sidhu. Now, we go to Denver. We'll leave on Saturday, play the game on Sunday. Remember, kickoff is 325 Central Time. And if you're in Denver, 225. So it's a little bit later. We last went to Denver in 2018. And it was one of the more interesting games that I can ever remember and it finished in a way that, well, I'll just have to bring it to you next right here on Texans All Access. Texans Radio continues in a moment. Ashley is proud to call Houston home. We believe your personal style makes your house a home. Discover incredible styles, selection, and quality at a price to fit any budget. Ashley has just the looks and options you need. Explore totally different styles and trends all in one place. Finding the perfect furniture and home decor makes it easy for you to create a home you love to live in. We have 12 Houston area locations to serve you. Ashley, proud partner of the Houston Texans. Texans Radio is back. It's going to be the Denver Broncos on Sunday in the Texans. I don't think we've seen them since 2019. Am I right? I think on that. But that was the Energy Stadium. And that was a total and complete mess. But we are going to Denver. And the last time we went to Denver was in 2018. It was week nine of the 2018 season. The Texans had won Five in a row. If you remember, they lost the first three. Lost to New England on the road. Then lost to Tennessee on the road to Blaine Gabbert and the Wildcat. And then lost to Saquon Barkley in the Giants at home. 0-3. However, they righted things with an overtime victory over the Indianapolis Colts. And oh, by the way, just as an aside, it just hit me. Had that game ended in a tie, the Texans would have had to have gone to Indianapolis that year to win the division. But that's beside the point. Either way, they got five wins in a row, and they went to Denver. But in the fifth win of that streak, the Texans played on a Monday night, or a Thursday night, excuse me, and Will Fuller put on a show until he was dragged down in the end zone by Bobby McCain, I believe it was, and Torres ACL. And Will Fuller would be out for the rest of the year. So, it was a few days before the trade deadline, and Brian Gain, the GM at the time, decided he had to go to work. And there had been talk about Demarius Thomas in Denver. They had drafted or brought on, I think it was Cortland Sutton. He was a rookie. They felt like there was an opportunity they could get something for Demarius, even though he had been there forever. They could get something. And eventually, John Elway, at the time, the general manager of the Broncos, and Brian agreed, hey, fourth rounder, Demarius comes over to the Texans. Well, it just so happened that the first game after the trade was in Denver. And we're pulling up 
to the stadium, and the buses pull in, and we look up, and there's a big scoreboard that we're passing by, and you just see Demarius Thomas's poster on the side of the scoreboard. And it was like, well, this is going to be a weird day. And then when Demarius came out, his family was there. I think it was one of the first times they had seen him play in a long time. It was, it was wild to start. And right off the bat, the Texans got Demarius involved in this game. First down, Texans at the Houston 36. Watson in the gun. And Watson hits Demarius Thomas. Right side screen across the 40. 45-50. DT, 45-40 of Denver. And out of bounds inside the 35-yard line of the Broncos. His first career catch is a big one down to the Denver 33. That got things rolling for the Texans that day. It was not really a big scoring day for the Texans. And in fact, in the third quarter, they got a drive going. But then in the third quarter, one of the strongest sustained wins I'd ever felt to that point, even sometimes in hurricanes. I mean, it was amazing. Things were flying over the field. The kicking net got knocked down. I almost got knocked down just standing up. And in that win, Kaimi Fairbairn hit a key field goal to give the Texans the lead at the start of the fourth quarter. 37-yard field goal by Fairbairn for the lead, and he's got it. And the Texans get in front of Denver, 19-17 with 14.06 to go in the fourth quarter. In that fourth quarter, both teams had opportunities, didn't do much with it, until with about three or four minutes left in the game, Case Keenum got the ball down two and drove the Broncos into what looked like, I don't want to say easy field goal territory for Brandon McManus, but if you get him within 50-ish, he's got a bomb for a leg. I mean, he just absolutely bombs it. I mean, the other night, the Broncos tried a 64-yarder with him, uh, and he nearly made it. So 51 yards was definitely within his range, and that's where Case Keenum got him to. They got to about the 34, 35-yard line. As McManus set up for a 51-yard field goal. And as he did, I do what I always do. I did what I always do, and that is I stand underneath the uprights because sometimes in different buildings, Mark doesn't have the vantage point. He he can't see it, so he has to wait for the referee arm. So I kind of give him a little cheat sheet, and I tell him, wide right, wide left, or good. Those are the only things. I don't say no or, oh, boy, and I, I say three things. Wide right, wide left, good. That's it. So... I'll let you figure out which one I said when Brandon McManus tried a 51-yard field goal. McManus sets up from near the right hash mark, 51-yard attempt for the win. The snap is down. The kick is up. Wide right, wide right, wide right. It's no good. It's wide right. The Texans win it. 19-17. Houston prevails. The Texans have won their sixth straight game. Now that was my voice you heard screaming wide right. Now, inside baseball, I am always talking to Mark in his ear. I'm always talking to Dre in his ear. But I'm in what's called cue. I'm in cue, meaning they can hear me, but I don't go out over the air. But just prior to that, I was a little disappointed that the defense allowed the Broncos to get into position. And I was also given the conditions. All right, the wind doesn't look that bad at that point. I don't know. It's still 51 yards. You know, we'll see. And our engineer at the time, uh, who's a great friend of mine and just a great engineer, Chris Jones, just happened to forget to take my mic back down. And that's why you heard it. And so we get on the bus, and I was like, Mark, I saw him. I was like, Mark, how was your call? And he goes, Jonesy left your mic up. And I just thought, I felt horrible. And Jonesy felt horrible, of course. It still is a great call uh, by Mark capturing the last time the Texans played at Denver, a 19-17 
win as Kymie Fairbairn hit that field goal, as, I, as you heard, to put him up by two. And then Brandon McManus pushed it wide right. And I saw it right away, too. That's why I was screaming wide right. I mean, I knew it as it left this fight. I could see it. I was like, that thing's not turning back in. I just started screaming, screaming wide right, wide right. And lo and behold, it was wide right, and the Texans won. All right, we're going to Denver in 2022. What do the 2022 Broncos have, outside of Russell Wilson, that we need to be aware of? Men behind the mics, Dave Logan, play-by-play voice of the Denver Broncos, sits down with Mark Vandermeer next, right here on Texans All Access. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. The Houston Texans, Toro and NOV, have partnered with the Sam Houston Area Council of Boy Scouts of America to present Toro Takes the Bull Out of Bullying. Toro Takes the Bull Out of Bullying, presented by NOV, is an educational assembly about preventing bullying. This year, the Texans and NOV have created an anti-bullying patch for students in the Scout Reach program. Scouts who complete Toro's anti-bullying quiz on HoustonTexans.com will receive the patch. The Texans, NOV, and the Boy Scouts are proud to help stop bullying across Houston. To be able to take it to that next level, that's what I'm excited about. Blows over the middle, wide open, across the five, he's in, touchdown, Houston! Fires underneath, this is intercepted, back-to-back possessions with picks for this Texans defense. Takeaway number three on the day. Game day is every day. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Now, it's Texans All Access, presented by Mattress Firm. We got one hour now, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And joining us next is a guy who has played... In, played in the NFL, played for the Cleveland Browns, was drafted in all three leagues, was an incredible athlete, a great receiver in the late 70s, early 80s for the Browns. He's now the play-by-play voice of the Denver Broncos. His name is Dave Logan. He's also an incredible high school football coach. He has been destroying it in the in Denver area for, I think, about two decades now. He's just been incredible. And I gave this homework assignment to Mark about five, six years ago, well, more than that, about six, seven years ago. Mark. Get on the horn with these play-by-play voices and just chop it up. It's awesome. Get to hear both voices that you would hear during a game. Do it. Call men behind the mics. Mark was like, done. Bet. It's on. So it's on right now. Mark Vandermeer with Dave Logan. It's men behind the mics. The two that will be behind the mic for their respective teams on Sunday. Let's go. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's Dave Logan, the voice of the Broncos. And Dave, a rough night in Seattle the other night. What did you make of that game? I know everyone's talking about the end of it, but the way it played out in general. Yeah, Mark, good to talk with you. I I think a couple of things um, in calling that game. The Broncos defense really did not play very well in the first half. I mean, Geno Smith looked like, uh, I don't know, one of the top 12, 15 quarterbacks in the league. Good for him. And uh, but but that's that's not what his career would tell us is the case. But the, the Broncos defense played very well in the second half, 21 snaps of offense for the Seahawks, 34 net yards. Um, and, I, and I thought the Broncos offense did a lot of good things. I thought they were creative uh, early. They ran the ball efficiently. They spread the ball around. They had seven receivers that had catches. It's been a long time, honestly. You probably have to go back to 2015, Peyton's last year. Uh that I've seen an offense that would move up and down the field with uh, with a great amount of regularity. Now, the end of the game, obviously, 
uh, was not good. And, and the fact that they fumbled twice on the Seahawks inside the Seahawks one yard line, that's the first time uh, in 36 seasons in the NFL that a team has done that. And you and I both know if you do that, the chances of you winning are very, very slim. Yeah, let's talk about the offense a little bit. You mentioned it, Russell Wilson. Everyone's talking about him. What about the ground game and the philosophy of Nathaniel Hackett, how he wants to handle things throughout the season on that side of the ball, Dave? Yeah, I think he's, uh, I think he's a guy that is committed to the run. What I like about him, and, and it's early, obviously. I mean, we haven't seen the starters play. They didn't play at all in the preseason. So, uh, and, and I did think the fact that they didn't get any reps in the preseason to me, was evident a little bit because I thought they were out of sync a little bit on offense. Um, but that's that's the way they they decided to uh, to run the preseason. Um, but he's a guy that wants to run the ball, but he'll run it in creative ways. He'll run it in different personnel packages. They went twelve personnel. Uh, they went thirteen personnel. They played eleven. Um, lots of different formations, and and I think that helps. It takes a lot of pressure, I think, off the offensive line because it, it forces the defense to first identify uh, the, I mean, who's in the game and then identify in terms of what formation. He has a lot of motion in the offense. And so I, I think from a creative standpoint, I, I was impressed with what uh, Nathaniel Hackett did in game one. All right, let's talk about Williams and Gordon in the backfield and what they bring to the table, Dave. These guys are going to be tough to stop for the Texans. Yeah, uh, big, strong backs. Uh, you'd like them to hang on to the ball. I mean, the, the, the Javante's fumble inside the one was on a play that Russell actually changed the play, and two of the offensive linemen didn't hear the didn't hear the check. Now, you know, you can certainly find some fault in that because that was about as loud a place uh, as I've been in a long, long time. And and you know, you it's hard to check plays from. Uh, from, from a place like that. That said, you still have to hang on to the ball. But both those guys, I thought, ran effectively. Um, both of them are guys that can break tackles. And so, you know, I, I think they feel pretty good. Both guys went over 900 yards each last year. So I think the running game uh, is going to be a point of emphasis for the Broncos uh, coming up this week against the Texans and moving forward. What kind of Russell Wilson do you think you'll be getting for the next couple of years here? It's not exactly very late in his career, but he's played for a while. He's taken a lot of hits. What are you seeing in Russell Wilson in training camp, Dave, and through week one? Well, it's been hard to evaluate him, Mark, to tell you the truth, in training camp because they really haven't uh, they haven't put him in a lot of game-like situations. But I, I thought he was pretty damn good against Seattle. Um, you know, he's 29-42 for 340 yards, a touchdown. He kept plays alive. He extended plays. He's got a real ability to what I call pinball in the pocket, where if he feels edge pressure, he'll step up. Uh, and then when that starts to collapse, he'll bounce back and he buys himself some time. And he extended plays probably three or four times, maybe four or five times in that game. And they all turned out to be big plays. So um, I, I think, I mean, he, he gives the Broncos a chance to win every game. And I, we haven't been able to say that. I certainly haven't since Peyton Manning left. So if you have one of those guys at quarterback, if you have an elite guy, and I think Wilson still is, then you feel pretty good about your chances each and every week.
Dave Logan, voice of the Broncos, joining us on Texans Radio. Okay, the defensive side of the ball, Bradley Chubb, impossible not to notice. You have Randy Gregory. You have a lot of other playmakers on that side of the ball, Dave. What are you seeing overall? Yeah, I think the defense has a chance to be be very good. Now, you, you look back last year, Mark, different staff, obviously, but they were a top-five scoring defense. They gave up too many yards, um, and, and they weren't very good on third-down efficiency. But uh, I, I didn't like the way they played in the first half. I mean, Geno Smith was 17 of 18, uh, and Seattle you know, made a lot of big, big plays. But second half, they – they buckled down and I thought played very well. I, I think the key for them is their ability to stop the run because I think for the first time in the last handful of years, there are good chances that the Broncos will be ahead in the second half or third or fourth quarter, which they weren't, they weren't uh, last year and they weren't actually many times since 2015. So when a team is that you're playing is ahead and they know that you can't score um, they don't tend to drop back and throw the ball, take a lot of chances. So for edge pass rushers, it becomes really frustrating and increasingly difficult to impact the game, to, uh, to force pressure on that quarterback because the ball's coming out or and they're running the football. So I, I think that's going to be a strong part of this defense, a strong part of this team, the defensive side of the ball. All right, everyone's talking about Hackett and the decision late in the game, and I get it. But overall, Dave, when you look at the head coach of the Broncos, what does he bring? I know he brings a lot of offensive knowledge and everything. And, and what are you seeing so far? I know it's only week one, but you've lived with him throughout the offseason. Yeah, I, I see creativity, which um, is important in this league. Now, you have to be efficient. You have to understand what you're doing. But, but we have not seen a lot of creativity here the last handful of years uh we've seen guys just line up uh in a set formation try to run the play defenses are too good for that you're seeing a lot of concepts that that have uh, been successful in college and even in high school to a certain degree uh and you're seeing the broncos i, I was impressed in game one with uh how many different looks they gave the seattle defense and they were able to um by either formation or movement, uh, do what I call buy an extra hat. They got an extra hat at the point of attack in the running game. Uh, I, I thought I thought really it was a very very good game plan, and, and uh, that that's the positive. The negative is uh, that was a game they absolutely should have won, and I think had to win because they're better than Seattle. I, I don't think Seattle is a playoff team. I don't think. I mean, I think they're going to be six and. 11 probably at the end of the year. So when you have a chance to win a game like that, I mean, you have to win the game. And the, the reality is they did not. Dave Logan, voice of the Denver Broncos with us on Texans Radio. Okay, you've been through an ownership change. It's early in the new era. But what's that like? What has it been like for you, Dave? Is it any different at all? Well, it's it's been uh, it's actually been kind of exciting. I had a chance to introduce the uh, the new ownership group and uh, that went out and spent about an hour with him before the press conference. And, uh, you know, uh, really smart, seemingly smart people, people that um, have been very successful at a variety of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was cool. Greg Penner, of course, will be the sort of the voice of the team, he and his wife, Carrie. Um, but, but it was great to meet Dr. Condoleezza Rice and uh, spend a little bit of time with her and Melody Hobson, who has been very, very successful uh, in her career as well. 
So, I, I mean, I think they, they've said all the right things. They certainly have deep pockets. I think they have an interest in, in doing whatever they can do to make sure this team gets back to relevancy. I mean, this, the, and the Broncos and the Jets are the only two teams since 2015 not to make a playoff appearance. Now, wow. if you're mentioned, as you know, if you're mentioned in the same breath as the Jets in basically anything, unless you're comparing your favorite shade of green, that it's not a good thing by NFL standards. So uh, I think Broncos fans have high expectations and, and just meeting the owners, I, I would say they share those expectations. Boy, that's an interesting stat right there. And a lot of people would not realize that, but time flies, especially since we've all lived to the pandemic and that seemed to accelerate certain things, maybe slowed down time and other things. Dave Logan, voice of the Broncos with us. Dave, we all know Denver, the Broncos are number one in the city but who's number two among the pro sports franchises, Nuggets, Avs, Rockies? Who's number two in Denver? Well, I would say, Mark, now it would be the Avs, especially after winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, they had such a great, great run. Um, I, I think the Nuggets are an exciting team. I think, I think people love the Nuggets here. And, and also, I think they feel like the Nuggets uh, are close. You know, two-time MVP, Nicole Jokic, and uh, some some pretty good supporting pieces as well. But I think right now, if you had to pick one, I would say Avs second, Nuggets third, Rockies fourth. Refresh my memory. You were coaching last time we talked. Are you still coaching high school football, Dave? Yeah, I am. This is, uh, let's see, this is year 33 calling the Bronco games, year 30 as a head high school coach. All right, a head high school coach. So tell me, have there been any conflicts, any times when, you had to make that tough choice between Broncos and being the head coach of the high school team. Well, uh, two separate questions. There have been conflicts, but I have never missed uh, a single Broncos game, and I've never missed one of uh, one of my high school games as well. Now there have been uh, there have been a handful of close calls. Uh, we played in the state championship game back in two thousand and one. Uh, missed the only flight that night to get down to Miami, the Broncos played an early game the next day, had to charter a plane, uh, way, way expensive, got in about three o'clock in the morning. There've been some, there've been some, uh, situations like that. Uh, and, but, but you know what, I, I, I bet I've missed probably five or six practices in 30 seasons with the team, with the kids. So I've been blessed to be able to do both. I really enjoy both and, uh, life is good. Dave, how does being an active high school football coach affect, if at all, your view of the Broncos and the way you interpret what's going on on the field? You know what? It's it's kind of funny. I, I think that, uh, I mean, I've always been a football nerd. I mean, it's just been, football has been my life for so long, played for a long time, and now I've been blessed to be able to stay in the game. Um, and I think what I, I, I think, how it would affect me most is when I go back and look at the Broncos games, look at the all 22, look at some of the concepts they employ. And it, it makes sense to me sometimes in terms of what I, what I see them trying to do. So, and then listen, you, you, it's just like any other coach, you steal a couple of things here and there from film. You see, you try to make sure, sure that you can implement that, uh, that high school kids will be able to understand it with your terminology but, um, yeah, I, I, I call in a game. It's just like you. I mean, you're calling what you see, mm -hmm. trying to be descriptive, 
as you possibly can be for people that are unable to see the game. But after the game, when I go home and, and pulling it up on the all 22, I really enjoy just the, the X's and O's and the strategy involved watching those games. Dave Logan, voice of the Broncos with us. Few notes on the AFC West, Dave. And it had to be weird seeing Seattle because that's an old AFC West team, actually. Right. Uh, the team you played Monday night football. But what do you make of the rest of the division? Well, it's a it's it's a tough division. I mean, the Broncos haven't beaten the Chiefs since the first of two matchups back in 2015. Hmm. So it's been, you know, you can do the math. I mean, the Chiefs have dominated this this division. And I think um, losing Tyree Kill and a lot of people saying, okay, that's going to make a big difference. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a great player and he can certainly take the top off the defense. And he's, he's, he's the fastest guy that I've seen in a league full of fast guys. But, you know, Mahomes comes out the first week and throws five touchdown passes. Uh, I, I think Kansas City is going to be very good. I think the Chargers are going to be uh, very difficult as well. So the Broncos. I mean, you, you've, that, that's why the Seattle game was so disappointing. You have to win the games you're supposed to win. You don't, you don't right. get games back, right? So I think it's going to be very, very difficult for all four teams in this division. You mentioned that the offense should be clicking almost as well as it did in the Peyton Manning era, that this is the first time you're seeing this kind of prowess on offense. How do the Broncos fans, Bronco Nation, what's the feeling on Tim Tebow and what he was able to do in that magical season with the playoff victory over the Steelers? You know, you see a lot of stuff about that. How is the feeling with the Broncos and Tim Tebow? Well, that that was, I mean, that season, I think, was maybe of my 33 years, that was the most improbable season I mean, there were games where they were just completely dead in the water. I mean, the game was figuratively over in the fourth quarter. And inexplicably, they would come back and he would make plays and they would win the game. So I, I think Tim Tebow is an immensely I mean, he's polarizing in one sense because the people that love him, they think he should be playing quarterback in the league. The people that don't love him say he can't throw the ball. What, what are we having this conversation about? So in that regard, he was polarizing. But getting to know him a little bit, doing his show, I mean, just a great young dude that, uh, you know, you'd be happy if your daughter wound up dating him. But I, I'll tell you what, I've never seen a season with so many improbable endings as that 2012 season. Yeah, that was amazing. Incredible to watch. All right. Well, and we both share Gary Kubiak as an alum of the organization, really. And I know right. there are Super Bowls involved with the Broncos, but he is beloved here as well. And I'm sure the feeling remains there in Denver. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Gary will forever, I think, be uh, revered here in Denver. I think people have such immense respect for him. He's he's a football guy. As I was talking about he loves football. He goes about it the right way, treats his players the right way. I will tell you something about Gary, though. You know, when you talk to him in person, he's kind of a soft-spoken guy. His press conferences, soft-spoken. He's not soft-spoken with players. Right. I can assure you that. I've seen him interact. You have as well with players. And he will uh, he holds them accountable in a way that if you didn't know better and you heard that, you'd be very surprised in terms of those exchanges between Kubiak and the players. But great dude. I think excellent coach as well. And I'll tell you what, 
in front of a crowd. He's amazing. Now, press conferences, I'm not including press conferences in this statement. When you get him at a dinner or something like that, he was at the John McClain retirement dinner here in Houston, brought the house down. I wasn't surprised. I've seen him do it before at big kickoff lunches and things like that. I'm sure that's been your experience as well. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, he's just a quality guy. I mean, Gary's Gary is uh, he's down to earth. Um, you know, he, he doesn't strike me. I've been around a lot of NFL coaches, head coaches you have as well. I mean, there's a certain amount of ego involved uh, and I'm sure Gary has an ego, but he manages his ego very, very well. He's self-deprecating. He's humble. Um, you know, played nine years in the league and never talks about that. So I, I just have high respect for Gary Kubiak. Dave, thanks so much for the time. As always, I really appreciate the visit. Great catching up. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Sounds good, Mark. Always great to catch up with you. The last time we were in Denver, it was 2018. Talked about that at the end of last segment. Does Mark Vandermeer remember it like I do? I bet he does. Let's put him to the test next right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access continues in a moment. With the Kroger Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. And for every dollar you spend, you earn fuel points, which can add up to $1 per gallon off at the pump for the win. Plus, save every day on groceries and get personalized digital coupons for the win. The Kroger Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at Kroger.com and start saving. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. State. Fuel restrictions apply. State. Fuel restrictions apply. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris. Joined now by the man you just heard. And no, not Dave Logan. Although it is kind of cool, Mark Vandermeer, to hear. And I was the one that gave you this homework assignment many, many years ago to get on the phone and call the play-by-play voices and have them on for our segment yes. called Men Behind the Mics. I hope you get something out of it. I love to hear the other voices that we hear on all the NFL films and all those great shows. Uh, and Dave Logan is one of those voices we've been hearing uh, forever. Do you like catching up with those guys and kind of chopping it up with them and getting kind of the thought on where they are with their teams and such? Yeah, because it's interesting. Dave Logan actually played for the Cleveland Browns in the 70s. Yep. And I didn't know this, Johnny, that he's one of a handful of people. I think it's less than 10 in history to be drafted by the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL, which is really interesting. The high school coaching thing, though, fascinates me a lot because it's still going on, and he's the voice of a team. But he and Steve Rabel from Seattle both played in the league, and they're both play-by-play guys. Man, I I can't go back in time in the DeLorean and play in the NFL. I would not (laughs) only need that. I would need that Captain America machine to get to be of – the condition to play in the NFL and the DeLorean. So I don't know how I'm going to pull that up. Uh, Zach Streep was doing the play-by-play for the Saints. He's now an assistant coach with the Saints. So I guess there's only two now. But it was really interesting ca- to catch up with Dave. He's seen a lot of big games. Yeah, he certainly has. Uh, and it was uh, great to hear him on the air with us. And it got me thinking. Well, at first it got me thinking about the last time we played the Broncos. I was like, no, I don't want to remember that one. So then I went back to the last time that we played the Broncos in Denver. Mm. And when I bring up 2018 Denver, see, all of our games have names. I mean, you and I have talked about this. There's Hasselbeck in a diaper. There's a eye kick. There's all, we have names for all, you know, hop spins. 
Maybe it doesn't have a name, but what's the one thing you remember about 2018 Denver? McManus. I ah. remember McManus missing, and I remember your microphone being open <laughs> as I was calling it no good. And you're like, it's no good. And you sounded like every other NFL team's color commentator standing <laughs> on the play-by-play guy, and you're not the color commentator, but you're on the sideline, and uh, the engineer accidentally left your mic up. Usually, folks at home, Johnny's mic is in queue, so he was just trying to help me out vociferously. Uh, it all worked out. You know, you listen to it now. It's, it sounds pretty cool. It just sounds like the announcers are going nuts. Yeah, it, it really. So, and I remember hearing it on NFL, uh, the Good Morning Football the next day, and I just kind of buried my head in my hands. <laughs> I remember getting out. We are getting on the bus, and I've told you this a million times. I, in, in radio, one of the, the one thing that I, I hate more than anything else is for an analyst to step all over a play-by-play man or just a radio show where guys are just always stepping on each other. And it's always one of my major, major pet peeves. And as I said, uh, you know, earlier in the show, I was talking about that particular moment. I'm always in queue with Mark. So Mark can hear everything that I say. So I try not to say as much when we're in the game, unless I'm spotting for you, finding a tackler or, you know, the ball's out or something like that. And so I say to you three things in your ear on a field goal, wide right, wide left, or good. And I just happened to be standing. I didn't go all the way under the goalpost. I happened to be standing left of the goalpost, which is to his McManus's right, and the ball's coming right at me, so I know it's wide right. And I, I was like, wide right. And then I heard you say wide right, so I was like, okay, sometimes I know when you've heard me because you'll say it how I gave it to you. If I give you a guy's full yeah. name, you'll say his full name, or you'll say his last name if I get to the last name. When I said wide right, you said wide right. I was like, okay, good. He got it. I got on the bus and I was just like, do your call. How was it? What'd you think? And you looked at me and you went, Jonesy had your mic up. And I swear my heart dropped. <laughs> it dropped like three stories. Uh, and I was like, I'm so sorry. Cause I had just done a hit. Cause you guys had asked me, yeah. what's the wind? What's the, you know, what does yeah, it look Denver. like down there? It's sure. Denver. And so it was a little, cause if you remember that game, remember in the third quarter, the wind, the wind kicked up in like the middle of the, the middle of the late third quarter. Like I've never seen, I mean, it was, it was swirling. There was trash everywhere. The, the, uh, yeah. the, punt net, the punt net had fallen on me on the sideline and I was just kind of standing nearby and it just fell down. I was like, Oh my gosh, it was wild. The wind, but by the end of it, the wind had stopped relatively speaking. It wasn't quite like it was, it was just kind of normal as it was to start the day. But that's one of the games I remember a lot, Mark. I don't think it's one that we talk about a lot, but it's one I remember because, A, how it ended, but, B, it was Demarius Thomas' return yes. to Denver one week after he had been traded. And I, I remember we were pulling up in the bus, and you look up on the scoreboard, and on the back of the scoreboard, they had Von Miller on one side, and they had Demarius Thomas on the other. As we were pulling up with Demarius Thomas on the bus with us, it was strange. It was strange on a number of different levels, but then you got into the game and, and away you go and you ended up with a 1917 win. You know, it's interesting. And I wrote about this on HoustonTexans.com. Some of the oddities of this series, the Texans have beaten Peyton Manning and Jay Cutler in this series. Yep. They've also lost to Trevor Simeon <laughs> and Drew Locke. I mean, that's a and Tim Tebow in the 300 yard Tebow performance in 2010, <sighs> the strangest games ever. So it's been a weird series that way. And I thought for a moment, oh my gosh, did Case Keenum play for each team against the other team? 
but he did not in 2013. It was Matt Schaub playing against Peyton Manning who threw for 405 touchdowns out here at NRG Stadium on the turf, and that's the day he set the single-season touchdown pass record, and it was horrible. And I'm thinking, oh, at least I could have had that Keenum note, but it didn't happen. Keenum played against the Texans in the 2019 game for the Broncos. Yeah, 2018 game, because 2019 was Drew Locke. I mean, you think about that. We've played Denver how many times? We, We saw Trevor Simeon on Monday night. When the word yep. thrumble was created. 2016, yeah. Yep, 2016. It was also the night that Derek Newton blew out not one but both knees. Oh, wow, that which, was the night. That was the night, that Monday night. That yeah. was bizarre. I, I mean, that was bizarre world um, that particular night. 2018 when we faced him, that was Case. 2019 we faced him was Drew Locke. And now in 2022, it's Russell Wilson. The Broncos put up all kinds of yards uh, against the Seahawks up in Seattle but did not come away with a W. Before we get there, Mark, I don't know if you heard, I I read it was on PFT. They essentially had some quotes from Pete Carroll talking about getting the win. That was eye-popping and eye-catching what he had to say. In in paraphrasing what Florio wrote about Carroll, essentially saying, yeah, they brought back a bunch of former Seahawks. And Florio's thought was that, through those years, Carroll was so defensive of Wilson, but now it was bringing all those guys back in that he loved to show, yeah, you guys were always the reason we won, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was really telling what Pete Carroll was saying without saying the words, hey, we don't miss that guy, good riddance. Like, there's a big resentment against Russell Wilson, and you talk about those Legion of Boom guys and really important members of that organization over the successful period they've had led by Wilson. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, how did that really go in the locker room? Because clearly they've had a ton of success with Russell Wilson, all the postseason yeah. success, two Super Bowl appearances, one Super Bowl victory. Was it really that bad? I don't know. I'm hoping if it was bad, it's bad in Denver too, Johnny. And it starts right away. I'm kidding around here, but not really. It's really a fascinating story. You know, I wonder how they actually do feel because, look, Richard Sherman could have stayed with the team, right? I mean, they could have kept him, I should say. Uh, He was still seeking employment in the NFL and ended up with the 49ers. I know Bobby Wagner is obviously now with the L.A. Rams, so obviously he wasn't at the Monday night game. But there's a lot to take in there. That's a story that you're going to hear more about, especially if Wilson – I guess no matter what Wilson does in Denver, but especially if he's not successful in Denver. Yeah, and he's a. It's funny because I didn't really think about him this way for a long time, but it just feels like he is an extremely polarizing figure. And maybe, maybe every NFL is that, a quarterback is that way. Maybe every NFL quarterback is a polarizing figure for some reason, uh, whatever it might be. I don't know. Um, I mean, shoot, Aaron Rodgers is as polarizing as it gets. I mean, Lamar Jackson is polarizing, but in a different way. Uh, and maybe that's just the world of the NFL now, but my goodness, that team put up a lot of yards, but then fumbles at the one twice. And, you know, you watch him defensively and you're like, boy, defensively, you know, the, you know, Nick talked about that earlier in the show, you know, the good in the back end with Patrick Sertan, um, you know, Kirwan Williams has taken over as the nickel. I, I still think you can hurt that secondary, especially if Justin Simmons isn't, isn't quite uh, ready to go um, back there. That's that's going to be something that I think plays a role for them if he's not ready to go back there. But up front, DJ Jones, another DJ, Draymond Jones, they're good up front. This front is going to have to, have to 
get some movement and run the ball a little bit better. And Mark, at that point, Lovey Smith talked today about getting more touches for Damian Pierce. Do you think that's what it is in the run game that it's a few more Pierce carries that maybe kind of kickstart that thing in the right direction? Or do you think that there's maybe more that needs to be done to kind of get them going where they want to go? Well, I think Kenyon Green's got to play a ton. All right. And maybe you just have to say, look, if uh, we drafted him as high as we did, let's go ahead and put him out there and just live with it. See what happens. It's going to be very loud. You know, this breaking news, it'll be loud in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it will be, especially for these young players. But it's not like Kenyon Green hasn't played in big games where it's been loud. Now, it was college level, but it's the SEC. It's the top line. And we'll see how he handles that. The communication is going to be very important. You're playing a 3-4 front now. So what is that going to be like versus what you've been facing in practice and what you faced in week one? I mean, you tell me, front seven of the Colts, even without Shaq Leonard, versus front seven of the Broncos. Who's better, Johnny? I'm doing a Thursday night thing on you. It's very similar. They're very similar. I don't think that the two Broncos interior guys, now DJ Jones looks like a fire hydrant um, inside, and it's a 3-4, so you've got that. But Draymond Jones, DJ Jones, uh, and Williams on the inside, those guys aren't quite as stout as Buckner and Stewart are. That's, That's one. Randy Gregory on the outside, though, opposite Chubb, they're better than Quiddy Pay uh, and Yannick Ngakwe. And really, in, in, in all honesty, though, Pay got a sack late yeah. um, that Davis probably held the ball a little bit too long. And Ngakwe didn't do a whole heck of a lot when he was going one-on-one with Laramie Tunsil. So when, when teams have good edge rushers, which we're going to face throughout the AFC West all year long, I feel okay with Laramie and Titus. But I want that run game to be – I want those five guys to be more finishers. They did a decent job getting contact and initial contact, but they didn't latch on and and finish blocks. And I'm not talking about putting a guy on his back on a pancake or anything. I'm just talking about staying on a block and occupying that particular block such that that guy doesn't go make a tackle. You know, it's one thing to be physical, but it's another thing – to yeah, strike a guy and then he pops off of you because you can't stay on the block and he goes and makes a tackle for a yard run. When if you stay on it, eh, you never know. I'd um, be shocked. I'll be shocked if Pierce doesn't get a lot more carries. All yeah. right. If at all possible. He had 11 carries. It's not like he didn't carry the ball. Some right. people are acting like he had four or five carries. He had 11 right. carries. You know, right. that's a decent sample size within the course of a game. Uh, it's just that Burkhead had 14, right? So no problem, Rex, getting carries. But the way Lovey is talking, you get the feeling that if they have a similar number, again, if there's 25 carries to go around between the two backs, and you hope there are more than that, but if there are 25 carries to go around, that Pierce is going to get the bulk of the carries. It'll be a 15 to 10 or whatever the ratio is going to be. And you're going to be able to see what he can really do with a longer visit with the offense. And as we all know, Johnny, a lot goes into it, including third down conversions. They were two for nine after the half the other day. They've got to be able to get that going in the second half again. Now, it wasn't like they were just racing down the field in the first half, but they had some success. We had Nick Casario on. He was talking about, look, we had some success in the middle of the game. You talked about the sandwich, right? The punt sandwich punts on the outside, but meat on the inside. They need more meat. I want right. Atkins diet on Sunday. Yeah, I yeah. want keto. I want all protein all the time with this offense, if it's possible. I want New York pastrami sandwich. 
<laughs> as as Mitch Hedberg used to say, <laughs> it's like a cow with a cracker on either side. That's that's what we got to have against this group. I I think that Justin Simmons' absence is really intriguing. I think he's the guy that keeps that defense together. And so going back to the Davis Mills conversation, I was listening to to Ron and, and Clint talk about this a little bit too. And and I mentioned it before the game. They did go deep. They found Brandon Cooks on the on the uh, flea flicker route. I'd like to see them challenge even more with whether it's Cooks or Dorsett or with Nico. I think Nico's really got to get involved in this game. They this did is it last the time. Year. Yeah, this is the time where they really have got to get Nico involved. I think in in every way, shape, or form. And then when they get down in the red zone, obviously OJ Howard was able to make those catches. You know, for the low red zone out. But if they get even further in the red zone. Hey, let's throw the fade to Nico. Let's put Nico up against one of these corners. They're not big corners other than Sertan and see if he can't go up and moss somebody in the back corner of the end zone. That's, I just want to see Nico get a little bit more involved in the offense. And, and look, there, there are a lot of things you want to say about the other. You want to run it better. You want to get Nico involved. Yeah, I just want to see better ed- execution overall. If they can run for over a hundred and get Nico involved, I'm going to feel really good about what they're able to do on Sunday. If, if Nico is on an obviously smaller corner and you have that single coverage, I feel like it's it's got to be almost an automatic, Johnny. Yeah, take you, it. You yep. put it up there high, let him high point the ball, let him make a play on the ball. I think he can come down with those plays. He did in L.A. against the Rams. That kind of play, that's what I want to see out of Nico Collins and Davis Mills. Get that kind of connection, that kind of chemistry going. And you're right about going deep. Look, we saw it with Tyrod Taylor last year, opening day, going deep to Brandon Cooks. Let him make a play. Give the receivers an opportunity to make a play. Mills did it against the Patriots with Chris Moore. He made a catch that was okay. There was a little traffic there, but Moore made the catch, and he was gone. So let's see if you can do stuff like that. not saying every week, but test the defense and maybe it happens this weekend hey mile high johnny ball flight yeah. all these long field goals he's one of a handful of guys to hit three field goals from 57 beyond in a single game which prompted me to texans brag about chris brown once upon a time hitting three field goals of 54 and beyond in a single game and that included a 57 yarder to beat the dolphins in 07 texans brag alert it's done i'm finished with that particular one Oh, but Kymie Fairbairn has hit one from 61 plus. Now he's not done it on grass outside in mile high, but right. maybe but mile high, you get the ball flight. Look, I played yeah. golf in Denver once when we visited in 14, we were there for a week yeah. and yeah. one afternoon after all the work yep. was done, uh, Robert Hensley, Patty Smith, did Patty Smith come with us? I should, I would yeah, remember she did. that. She did. She did. And uh, we played and I remember, you know, I usually hit my pitching wedge, like one Oh five, one ten. you know, nice smooth yeah. swing. Um, I know I don't hit it anymore, whatever, but it was, you know, I was overshooting greens with the approach shot. You know, I was like, yeah. all right, it's about, it's about a hundred. I'd hit it one I'm going too long with this. And I thought, oh, it's the mile high. It's the altitude. So it was pretty cool. I felt like I was John Daly out there with the driver. When I was in high school, I actually took a recruiting trip to the Air Force Academy to play baseball. And so I went out there and. Air Force had a coach by the name of Paul Manieri, who ended up being the coach oh, yeah. at Notre Dame and then at LSU. Great career. And I remember that was one of the things that they said to was my buddy. I was a third base. He was shortstop. We were out there together. And so he was talking to both of us, and he said, look, by the time you get to game three of a, of a series out here, and they were in the whack at the time, he's like, you get the fourth or fifth pitcher on a Sunday. Those games are 20 to 18, and you're crushing home runs. And, you know, we've got, uh, you know, banjo hitters that are hitting 14 15 home runs a year because 
they're playing out here. And I was like, hmm, intriguing. I like your thought, coach. I might have to consider that. Then I went the other side, the other side of the country and went to a Brown University to play football. But that was a selling point. Like, you get bombs, a lot of them, here in the altitude, and they don't put their balls in a humidor, their baseballs, that is. And so they don't put them in a humidor. And so I could have done that, but I didn't. I chose not to, but it is a beautiful place. If you're going to the game, remember, 225 kick, 325 back here is the kickoff time. So make sure you keep that in mind. It's a afternoon game, uh, but it's going to be a little bit steamy. It's going to be 86 during the game, Mark. And Wait, is that steamy, 86? I guess. Denver thin air, 86. Oh, boy. I hope that they're really warm, though. The Broncos, like, it's so hot. And our guys are out there in, like, 86 degrees at 8 a.m. in the morning with humidity. So nice. the Texans nice. should be used to this. And Justin Britt made that point with you and I. Yeah. He was quick to say, yeah, all right, it is what it is. But we we practice in some pretty tough conditions. I think they're going to feel sort of lung-liberated in the mile-high air, actually. I like that. Lung liberated. Yeah. I like that. Lung liberation. That sounds like it should be, uh, well, I won't get into that. But, Mark, appreciate it. Going to go around the NFL next right here on Texans All Access. More Texans Radio is on the way. Hey, Houston, this is Keith here from Papa John's, and it's that time again. It's football season. And you know what? We've been a sponsor of the Texans for, well, from the get-go. I love the Texans. And to celebrate, we have the Big Texans Pizza. It's an extra-large New York-style pizza, two topping for only $13.99. Now, that's a lot of pizza. Great way to sit down and watch a football game, eat a pizza, and go Texans. Better ingredients, better pizza, the best football, Papa John's. Papa John's. Papa John's. Texans Radio. The Drive continues. One final segment of this edition of Texans All Access. We'll go around the NFL, but first, the Texans injury report from the day. Justin Britt missed today's practice, not injury-related personal matter. Jerry Hughes missed, not injury-related rest. Malik Collins, yikes, uh, did not participate dealing with a knee issue. Limited participants, Rasheem Green, who Coach talked about today, hoping he's trending in the right direction, was a limited participant dealing with a thigh, Brevin Jordan, an ankle, and Isaac Adam dealing with abdomen over on the Broncos side. One, two, three, four, five, five key players did not participate. Now they just played Monday night, got back late, early Tuesday morning. Randy Gregory dealing with a shoulder and a knee. KJ Hamler, slot receiver, knee and a hip. Josie Jewell, calf, Quinn Miners, hamstring, Sean Williams back. They were all DNPs in practice. Limited, K1 Williams, the nickel uh, with a wrist, a wrist full participant was Billy Turner dealing with a knee. The big news for the Broncos, Justin Simmons going on IR. He will not play in this game. And that is, I'm going to say this, it's for the Texans, it's good news in the fact that it's one of the better players in the league that will not play on the Broncos' side. I think he is the heart and soul of that Broncos' defense. He is that defense as Jalen Petrie uh, with pelts on the wall. That guy has been around. He's been to Pro Bowls. He's been part of the top 100 players in the league. Um, he went. He goes on IR. Will miss the next four games. So that's the sitch, if you will, from Denver and Tech and the Texans with their injury report. We've got more football tomorrow. How about that? I mean, that's how fast that we're in the groove now. You play Sunday. You play Monday night, 
Tuesday, Wednesday, we got radio. And then Thursday, game. Chargers, Chiefs, cannot wait for that. More news about the Dak Prescott situation did not go on IR. It's a little bit of a surprise that he didn't go on IR, but he is not going to go on IR with that thumb issue. He had surgery, apparently. It went a little bit better than they had expected. So Dak Prescott will definitely be back for the December 11th matchup with the Texans, but eh, we'll see what happens over these next four weeks. This is going to be very, very interesting when Dak Prescott is able to come back. Number of power rankings unveiled on Tuesday. Texans in NFL.com's. They dropped one, 27 to 28. Dallas Cowboys dropped 12 down to 27. So the Cowboys one step ahead of the Texans, which makes me want to play that game tomorrow. But it's going to be the Broncos on Sunday coming off of a feat up in Seattle. 64-yard field goal went wide. Actually, wide right, I believe. I'm visualizing it and seeing the one that happened in 2018. Brandon McManus, unfortunately, had to be put out there for a 64-yarder. And wasn't able to bang it home. So Broncos 0-1, Texans 0-0-1. Matchup 325, local time here, 225. If you go into the game there in Denver, where we will start the broadcast. We'll have the pregame, postgame. We got it all for you. HoustonTexas.com. Check out the app, Sports Radio 610. We got it all for you. Appreciate you guys listening. Big thanks to everybody who's part of it. O.J. Howard, D.P. Sidhu, Mark Vandermeer, Nick Casario, Dave Logan, and many, many others. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. If you've wanted to buy Bitcoin but didn't know how to get started, try BitWallet, the official digital currency wallet of the Houston Texans. Go to the website bitwallet.org and download the BitWallet app, and you'll get started right away with the fastest, simplest way to buy Bitcoin with your debit card. It's Houston-founded and based. BitWallet has a platform for individuals and businesses with no fees and no chargebacks. BitWallet.org. BitWallet.org.